Well, good morning to you folks. It's great to be back with you. I didn't think that uh, last Sunday night that I would be back uh, on this Sunday morning, but it's uh, an absolute joy and a privilege and a pleasure to be with you. The text on the wall behind me says, Be still and know that I am God. And yet the truth is that we're all so busy and there's so much noise going on that it's very difficult for us to take time to be still. But last Sunday night, we thought a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus. And we remembered that the first three words that Jesus spoke to Peter were, come, follow me. And then we thought about the last four words that Jesus said to Peter in John 21. Anybody remember what those last four words were? You must follow me. Absolutely right. You get us smarter. Well done, Kenny. <laughs> you must follow me. So the Christian life begins with following Jesus. And right to our last day, we're going to keep following Jesus. Well, we have a, a Bible study starting next Sunday night. On, on discipleship, and I really want you to, to encourage you to think about coming to that, because um, we, we know that we meet Jesus in the Bible, and yet we're also busy and running around at such a great uh, pace that we don't often get time to stay still and just to really uh, See Jesus in the Word. So I really want to encourage you that if it isn't your pattern to come on a Sunday evening, just to dip your toe in the water. Because maybe just maybe God wants to say something to us. And I do hope that you will think about coming. I'm excited about it and look forward to being with you next Sunday evening to kick off this study on discipleship. But this morning I've got something. Uh, which I am looking forward to sharing with you. We've uh, been looking at the life of the prophet Elisha, and we come to a really lovely passage. I'm going to read it to you. It's just seven verses in chapter 6 of Second Kings. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. They went with her. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was horrible. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. Lift it up, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. May the word of God be a blessing to our heart. Extraordinary passage of scripture to read what an extraordinary story. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we're really grateful that we have your precious word. And as we look at it today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what you're saying to us through. Please break it into small pieces. That 
not only would we understand it, O Lord, but that its message might touch our hearts and be a real blessing to us. We pray, Father, that your spirit would come and move from seat to seat and just encourage us so that our hearts would overflow with praise and thanksgiving. We just long that there would be a smile of pleasure on your face brought about by the worship of your people. So please help us to that end. We ask it, Father, in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've ever come across an author called Charles Swindle. Well, I've read quite a bit of his stuff. And one of the things I like about him is he tells great stories. And uh, maybe, like me, you, you really like good illustrations where he tells a story about a little boy called Danny who was at Sunday school and at the Sunday school they were dealing with the uh, exodus the um, not the, 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 the flight from, of the Israelites from, from slavery in Egypt and Danny is so excited he rushes out and he looks around for his dad and his mum he sees his dad he rushes over to his dad and he grabs him and he says dad Dad, we've just had the most amazing story uh, in Sunday school this morning. And Dad's all pleased. So he looks down, he says, well, Danny, that's great. Tell me about the story. And he said, well, it was Moses and the people crossing the Red Sea. Uh, he, he said, the Israelites got out of Egypt, but Pharaoh and his army chased them. somehow suddenly went into the socket and he was able to lift it out. 
Or, or, or others say, well, he had this stick and he saw where the axe head was, so he leaves the stick in the water and he kind of maneuvered it into the shallow water so they were able to get it out again. Of course, that's not what the text says, and anyway, if it happened like that, why would it have been recorded in the scriptures? And others take a sort of a different view. They moralize and say, well, listen, if you're ever going to borrow something from somebody, you really need to look after it. That's the moral of the story. Don't, don't lose it or damage it. And still others would say, well, it's a bit practical. If you're cutting wood, make sure you do so, but not near water. Well, I think we have to focus on what the verses say and not on what the verses don't say in order to discover what truth is being taught. And as I look at this little passage in this story, I think the, the key thing that it teaches us is very simple, but very beautiful. It tells us that God is concerned. God's concerned. And wonderfully, we see several different expressions of that concern, which are just so encouraging for us. The first thing is that there was a very simple need. Now here was an apprentice prophet with a borrowed axe, and they were cutting, he was cutting down a tree, and the iron axe head flew off the handle and fell into the water. The weightiest item in the story seems to be the axe head, doesn't it? The weightiest item seems to be the axe head. And yet, I, I want us, as it were, to step back in order for a moment to catch a picture, a glimpse of, of the big picture. What happened in chapter 5? Well, we looked at it not very long ago. You remember there was a man called Naaman who was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was really important. But he had leprosy. And do you remember how uh, the little girl who had been taken captive said, oh, there's a prophet in Israel. If you would go and see the prophet, the prophet would help him. And you remember the story of how um, Naaman went and how indeed he was healed. So there were huge political ramifications. And, and after the story of the accident, um, there is another story which we did look at uh, quite a while ago together, a story of military engagements with the king of Aram and of the subsequent siege of Samaria. So if you put all of this together, you have scenes of international politics, foreign affairs, military strategies, and a national crisis. And yet, placed in the middle of all of this, is this little story of the Axehead, which teaches us about God's concern. God's concern. God was concerned about an axe head, which was important, I suspect, only to the man who borrowed it and to the man from whom it was borrowed. I don't think it mattered very much to any people that axe head. But this teaches us a wonderful fact. You see, in the midst of the threat of terrorism, of the Taliban, of all that's going on in Iraq, of all that's going on in uh, the Ukraine, 
In the midst of the economic uncertainties of our day, I think I heard Nicholas say that the price of was it a unit of electricity had gone up from was it ten pence to a pound? She said something like that. Because there's no price cap for 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 businesses. In the midst of these uncertainties, we learn that God has time and thought for people like us with needs which are completely irrelevant to our society at large. Society at large doesn't care that you're afraid. Society at large doesn't care that you're worried about how you're going to pay your gas. Society couldn't care less that you have struggles with broken relationships. Society doesn't care about those things. But, but this, this passage teaches us that God cares. cares. And you and know, you we make a mistake when we confuse God's greatness with bigness, or when we associate his greatness only with bigness. It says in, whoops, we're not working. Can we move on? I'm not going to go as wrong because we do have to rely on God in ways that we don't normally. Isn't that right? Yeah. Is it not, not working? working? Oh, there we go. Hello. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That reminds us that God is so concerned about us that he knows, knows every, every detail about our lives. It said in Matthew 10 that even the very hairs of our head are numbered, are all numbered. And he knows when we lose one, or two, or even three. He knows. His care for us is extraordinary. And then Psalm 139 said, and we're just about to get there, Psalm 139. No. Oh, there we go. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Isn't it amazing that God knows us that well? He knows what time you got up this morning. He knows what you did when the alarm clock went off. He knows that maybe you hit the snooze button. He knows. He knows all of those things. And he knows your thoughts. And some of you are sitting there thinking, gosh, I wonder if this thing going to work. He knows what we think. And he knows when we, when we lie down. Sometimes he makes us to lie down in order that we might look up. But he knows all of those details. And if you and I don't grab hold of, of just how much he knows us, if we don't uh, grab uh, uh, how great he is, then we're likely to allow our little problems to pile up without bringing them to God because we think that, well, he mightn't be interested that we're worried about paying our bills. He mightn't be interested that we've had words with somebody else and fallen out with them. And if we don't bring these things to God, we allow our minds to fetter. And uh, instead of saying, Lord, I've lost my axe head. I've lost my cutting edge, Lord. 
You see, we need to bring all of these things, however simple they might seem to us. So the first thing we notice is a simple need. And the second thing is there was a genuine need. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed as the accent flashed in the water and sank. Can, can you hear the note of despair in the man's voice? It, it, it wasn't his act. It was borrowed. It was somebody else's. It was likely that he hadn't a, a great deal of resources, which was why he had to borrow the axe in the first place. And iron tools in those days would certainly have been very expensive. When I came to Glasgow 20, 28 years ago, I, I, I had a, a friend in Glasgow whose wedding I conducted many years earlier, and I had lent him a big axe because I used to live in the country and used to always cut up wood for my log burner. I don't have one now, I'm sad to say. But uh, I lent him my axe, and some years later he told me that he'd lost it. I, I didn't need an axe, I didn't have a fireplace in the, in the, in the manse that I moved into. So he, he'd lost it. Well, that was a shame. But, you know, it didn't really matter because I could have gone down to B&Q or another, any one of a dozen different hardware outlets and bought a new axe without any difficulty. But there were no B&Qs in Israel. And this young prophet couldn't have, couldn't have got another one. And anyway, even if there were B&Qs in Israel, he didn't have the resources. Because if he had the resources, he would have bought one. But he didn't. He borrowed one. Now, understand this. God doesn't do miracles for fun. There was a genuine need for God's help. And when there is a genuine need for God's help, we shouldn't be surprised when God does something unexpected and amazing. Now, he doesn't always do the unexpected or the amazing, but sometimes he does when there's a genuine need. Well, what do we take from all? Well, we know that the Bible teaches us that followers of Jesus face discouragement and difficulties and even opposition. Things go wrong. Whoops. Uh, washing machines break down. Is that right? Uh, pipes, oh, pipes burst. And people get ill. And we bump into other cars and stuff like that. But isn't it just, is it just bad luck? Or has God engineered something magnificent to emerge from all of Well, that depends really on whether we walk by fate or by faith. How we walk by faith or by fate. If we walk by fate, well, some Christians seem to view life challenges through lenses that are hinted with a hint of fatalism. And they subscribe to something called Murphy's Law. Have you heard of Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law says if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. That's Murphy's Law. If you drop the toast, Murphy's Law says that it always lands butter side down, especially if there's jam on it. That's Murphy's Law. Now, Murphy's wife, rumor has it, believed that Murphy was too much of an optimist. Well, there you go. I think that Murphy was an Englishman who emigrated to Ireland and we've had the blame ever since. However, that's beside the point. Our world is filled with vague, 
vague ideas of, of fate and chance. And lots of folks are very superstitious. You've heard folks tell you, oh, something's let's touch, touch wood. Something doesn't go wrong. Touch, touch wood, or if there is wood around, people will say that. Living by fate, but does fate uh, decide our life? Well, Woody Allen, uh, the American um, director and humorist, uh, summed up the choices open to fatalists. Let me read to you what he said. He said, civilization stands at the crossroads. Down one road is despondency and despair, and down the other is total annihilation. Let's hope we choose the right road. <laughs> and if you resign yourself to fatalism, then you can be sure that your resignation will be accepted. But we're not like that, are we? We believe, we believe that we have a God who cares for us, a God who loves us. So we don't walk by faith. We walk by faith by faith in God. We walk by faith. Faith is the dynamic ingredient which enables us to invite God into our circumstances. Faith sees God as bigger than any difficulty that we can ever face. God is a good God. And he even brings good out of bad, though often confuses us as he does it. Romans 8, Paul writes, we know that in all things God's work, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I struggle with that, trying to work that out, because when somebody I know and care about gets ill, I think, Lord, how can you bring good out of illness? And we, we don't have answers. But what we are able to do is cast ourselves back on what we know of the character of God. And we line up with Job. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So God, I can't work you all out. And I don't understand why these things are happening. But I still believe you because I walk by faith. I don't walk by faith. Eight. This apprentice prophet came and he said to Elisha, oh my Lord, it was borrowed. Now Elisha cares because God cares. He said in verse six, whoops. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. That was simply a piece of wood. We don't even know what kind of wood. It was just a piece of wood. It had no power on its own. But God made it effective in finding the axe. Sometimes when people are ill, they call for the pastor, the elders of the church, to come and anoint them with oil. Because James chapter 5 teaches us. It doesn't give us a lot of detail. It doesn't tell us what kind of oil we should use. I used to just use olive oil because I thought that was the oil that they had in the, in, in the Middle East. You can get monkey nut oil or rapeseed oil, but I just thought olive oil. The Bible doesn't tell us what you do with the oil. Do you anoint the afflicted path? Well, 
sometimes that would be really inappropriate. So I used to just make a little cross on people's foreheads. I thought that's what I should do. Now, no plow in my hands, and the oil was just borrowed from my wife, from my wife's bottle in the kitchen. And yet sometimes when that happened, God chose to bring healing. Not always, but sometimes, because I've, I've seen that. And it's extraordinary. God made the iron float. You see, God can turn tragedies into triumphs, and he can turn disappointments into divine appointments. You see, our problems matter to God, even little ones, because our, our problems that don't matter to anybody else, they matter to God, because that's who God is. Did you know God colored the wings of the mayfly? <laughs> We've gone again. God colors the wings of the mayfly, and the mayfly only lives for a few hours and might never be seen by human eyes, but God designs it. There we go. The mayfly just lives for a moment. Uh, and, and God was involved in that. And some wise man said, Christ did not come to do away with suffering. He did not come to explain it. He came to fill it with his presence. And we speak in hushed tones because there may very well be folks and someone that you love is going through suffering at the moment. So we Christ followers are not fatalists. We put our trust in the living God. But there's something else here which I think should encourage us. God's concern in response to a simple need, God's response to a genuine need, but there's the other thing here, and that's God's response to future needs. You see, the apprentice prophet approached Elisha with a request. The, the, the place that we have isn't big enough for us. Can we go and build a bigger place? So the prophet Elisha said, go. And then one of these apprentice prophets issued a rather random invitation. He said, won't you please come with your servants? I will. Elisha replied. Now, what if the invitation hadn't been issued? Or what if Elisha said, look, I'm so sorry, I'm too busy. I've got other things on. Elisha being there was absolutely crucial. So that invitation turned out to be very significant, more significant than the um, apprentice prophet or Elisha knew. I wonder, does anybody remember back to March the 30th, 1981, a long time ago. But on March the 30th, 1981, President Reagan came out of a meeting that he'd been addressing. He spoke to about 500 people. And he came out of the meeting. Uh, there was a crowd of people gathered around, and one of them was a man called John Hinckley. And John Hinckley pulled out a small revolver, and he fired off six shots. Bang, 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 bang. One of those shots hit, hit the car, Reagan's car known as the Beast, and it ricocheted and, and it hit him just on the left side. And interestingly enough, uh, 
it, it hit the muscles just not too far from his heart. And now Ronald Reagan used to work out, and he worked out so often that doctors had told him years earlier to, to ease off from the exercise because his muscles were so developed that they were afraid that they would contribute eventually to a hernia. But those overdeveloped muscles helped to slow down the bullet so that it stopped an inch from his heart. Amazing. You see, a provision had been in place long before the need came along. I well remember visiting uh, one of my deacons very many years ago. He was a man waiting for a heart transplant. And after we had a time reading the scriptures together, uh, we then got to prayer and he prayed using an expression that I've never forgotten. He prayed, Lord, would you even bless Michael's throwaway phrases? I never heard the expression throwaway phrases before. But it, it kind of lodged in my mind and I never forgot it. And it was interesting that over the years, on a number of times, people have contacted me and said, I just want to say thank you for saying something that I have no memory of saying. You see, God in his greatness and grace can sometimes take the insignificant and endure it with a profound significance. That's what God does. I'm sure that you can tell stories of how seemingly insignificant things came along, but God made them a significant blessing to you. Because that's what God does. Why? Because the God whom we worship is a God who is concerned for us. And as we sit in this room this morning, I don't know what's going on in your life, but he does. And you know something? He cares an awful lot more than we can ever realize about what's going on in our lives. So let me ask you, what impact do you think this passage had on subsequent generations of Israelites who went? What about the Israelites who were forced to go into exile in Babylon by an invading army? As they thought about this story, wasn't this story simply saying, God is concerned, keep walking with him. If you walk with him, you'll discover the reality of concern, of his concern. Then you're working away and the head flies off your axe and you, you lose your cutting edge. Then you'll discover if you're seeking to walk with him, how concerned he is and how much he'll help you. This passage might not be packed through with profound theology, but it might be the very thing that you need to hear today, or, or maybe tomorrow. So remember us, God shows his concern, and we walk by faith and not by sight. And maybe there's somebody here, and it's your pattern to come here, but it's all kind of 
an arm's length from you. That isn't the way God wants it to be. God wants us to have a relationship with him that is intimate, that's really close, that we get to know him really well, so much so that we know a real sense of dissatisfaction in our lives, believing, gosh, Lord, there must be more. There must be more. I want more. Or may he put that hunger in our hearts to know him. And let me finish by saying, come along next Sunday, because we're going to dig into the word of God together and think a little bit about discipleship. And you might be really encouraged. And he might be encouraged as we learn more of what's wrapped up in following Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we really are so very grateful for the love that you have for us and for the way in which you care for us and reveal that every single time. We're very conscious that even as we talk about your concern, that there will be worries that are part of just about everybody's life here today, worried about Ukraine and what's going to happen and we heading towards an atomic event, worried about how on earth we're going to keep warm this winter, worried about will we have to make choices between heat or, or, or food. Um, Lord, we want to pray that you'd really impress upon us that you have a real deep concern for needs, our simple needs and genuine needs and our future needs. And we pray that our response might be with the help of the Spirit just to trust you. So please, Lord, lock these things in our hands. Make them a blessing to us that we might carry that blessing with us as we step out into the days ahead. We ask these things, Lord, as we commit one another into your care and keeping in the precious name of Jesus.